everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Dead and Married. I'm Travis. And I'm Ashley. And this week, we're handling a friend request. We're covering 1988's classic, uh, <laughs> Brain Damage. He'll word eventually today. Yeah, I'm in trouble with the English language. <laughs> and this is at the request of one of the good friends of the show, La Best friend. Yeah. Yeah, and Patreon as well, so woohoo! So yeah, we... Uh, I don't even know where to begin. Like, I, I feel like, and she's probably going to disagree with me, but I feel like no matter what I say, I feel like I'm going to do a disservice to her by covering this movie. Like, I don't I don't even know where to begin with it. I just knew that as soon as she requested, I was like, fuck yeah, we have to do it. So Travis, the first time we watched it, he fell asleep, like, right in the middle and when we went to watch it this week, he didn't even remember the part that he was actually awake for. You know. <laughs> you know. You know yeah. what. <laughs> I just don't want anybody to take that personally. Um, yeah, it could literally we, be any movie. Because when we movie, you know, you turn the lights off and we take notes on our phones. and he, yeah, it's, he, not, it's not quite like a movie theater, but I sit down and then I just go to sleep. He <laughs> falls asleep in broad daylight. Do not let him that's fool also, you. That's also true. <laughs> to be fair, I do think I, he straight carved up right before we put it on. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I spend all of my week getting up at like 3 o'clock in the morning yeah. for work. So, yeah, at any point, if I sit down and I don't move for what three minutes four minutes yeah i'm gonna fall asleep yeah and here's the thing it it he's like the typical old guy already right because every weekend he's the first one up he he complains all week about not getting any sleep but he's up with the fucking roosters every weekend and there i am sleeping nearly half the day because i'm tired it's the only time of week i get to rest so i'm like Come back to bed. Okay. Sleep some more. And he's okay. like, no, I'm awake. I will have you know that I didn't get up until 630 this morning. <gasps> oh, my God. That's like three and a half hours of extra sleep for me. I didn't get out of bed till like 1130. So <laughs> Sleep like a teenager. Oh, it's that good depressed sleeping. Oh. Yeah, Isabel finally had to come prime me out of bed with a chisel. So, <laughs> But at any rate... Um, this movie is so much fun. It's another one of those where it's kind of like, where has it been all of my life movies? Because um, the only experience I had ever had with Frank Kenenlotter films was Frankenhooker when I was a kid. And God help me, that was not a movie that I should have seen. But, you know, you go to your aunt's house. She's really cool. She goes to bed, lets you watch Skinamax. And she just gave no shits. And it was awesome. So I did <laughs> end up... I ended up, I can't talk. No, I can't, um, word. I would stay up late and watch all the good horror films and stuff. So, yeah, that was the only one I'd ever seen. I never saw, uh, Basket Case or, you know, the film in question until probably within the last, I don't know, five years, maybe? Something like that. But when Lala had brought up this film, we were like, huh, okay. And I, I had seen it, you know, like on um, Screenbox and Shudder and all that stuff for years and kept thinking, what is that? And I feel like I recognize this actor a billion times, but I never would actually watch it. And so we, when me and Travis finally sat down to watch it, I was like, I know that this is probably not going to be the general consensus of audiences, but this may be one of the greatest horror films I've ever seen. <laughs> wow. Uh, like, I'm not talking Merchant Irie films, okay? Like, I'm just saying, like, 
for what it is, it's so fucking wonderful. And I actually got a lot more out of this film than I expected to. I will I will actually go on record right now and say that I feel like this is Hen and Lauder's most mature film of the three that I've seen. Using Hen and Lauder and mature in the same <laughs> sentence is bold. <laughs> no, I... So... This is what? I think I've seen... I know I've seen Basket Case and this one. I, did, have I seen Frankenhooker? Yes, you and I watched it together. Did I? Yes. But you. But did I? <laughs> I see. I, I feel see. like that kid on Chowder. <laughs> Do I? <laughs> yeah. Would you? Would I? Would I? <laughs> yeah, because I'm pretty sure we, we watched Basket Case three or four times before I made it all the way to the end. Uh, we watched this one... We had seen this one before, and then we started it to watch it for the show, and the old man, spoilers, um, <laughs> the old man comes home, unpacks the brains, and I'm like, I've seen this, and then literally two minutes later, I'm like, I don't know what the fuck's going on anymore. <laughs> like, that was as far as I made it. Yeah. He brought home brains, and I fell asleep. <laughs> so, yeah. Now, I, f- I feel pretty good about this film. It was interesting, though, because I did not know in the whole story. Um, you know, when they lose Elmer right there at the beginning and they're like tearing their house apart. I even told you, I'm like, man, that's like a couple of crackheads looking for their stash. Mm-hmm. And then I saw the rest of the movie and I'm like, that hey, was a couple of crackheads. <laughs> <laughs> they were looking for their stash. Right. Um, so I agree. It's one of the few that it's got a pretty clear cut message. Um, I feel like there's other horror movies out there that they try to say something and it's, but their execution's a little bit clumsy. I feel like this one was pretty on point. I, I think I've, I've got a lot to say about this film and we'll, we'll talk about yeah. it throughout, but it, I don't know if it was supposed to be deep, but it was deep to me. From what I read, he, this, he had some struggles and when he wrote this film, it tackles some of those. Right. So, uh, but yeah. Yeah, I was kind of impressed with the way they handled the subject matter. Yeah, honestly, and the the performance of what the character goes through, well, I would say, was it should be he was on soap operas for twenty years. You better stop. What? <laughs> no. Hey, listen, you don't get six hundred and twenty-one episodes of General Hospital under your belt without learning some stuff. <laughs> this would have been before that. Thank you very much. <laughs> anyway, I I actually give that that uh Rick Hurst all the credit in the world because I think his performance was spot on but we'll get to that so why don't you go ahead and give us the specs roll that beautiful bean footage okay the specs so this was directed by Frank Henenlotter written by Frank Henenlotter does he ever direct a movie he didn't write I don't know it's kind of a package deal right I don't know like he argues with himself I'll do this but only if I get to write it I don't know okay (laughs) you don't know so it stars Rick Hurst as Brian. He's our lead. And yeah, he's he's the one I was talking about that has done a million years of soap operas. Gordon McDonald plays Mike. Jennifer Lowry plays Barbara. Theo Barnes is Morris. Lucille St. Peter is Martha. And I'm going to go ahead and say Vicki Darnell. She's the blonde in hell. That's how she's credited. Um, the, I mean, and Joseph, so to speak. And Joseph Gonzalez plays the guy in the shower. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and we'll just stop there because the rest of them. But those two have some pretty important roles in this film. I don't feel like the guy in the shower really does. He really does. Does yeah, he? That was a really awkward scene. <laughs> Mostly because he just kept turning around and showing him the goods. <laughs> like, he's, you're going to be okay in here. And then he keeps turning around and like, look at me. <laughs> okay. So, starting with you, what do you think about the story itself? 
I know we've we've lightly touched on it. I I like the story. I feel like it's it's pretty solid. I mean, you get a little bit of background on Elmer and and kind of where he came from. It would have been nice to have a little bit more of that, but I mean, the beginning's not bad. It you're it's confusing at the very beginning, mm-hmm. you know. Because uh, you just get that elderly couple that's kind of freaking out, and you don't know what they're looking for or why. But I feel like it sort of explains itself pretty quickly after that. I agree. Um, I think it shows because I think both of us have seen people that struggle with addiction, mm-hmm. and I feel like this shows a pretty accurate representation of that descent. Yes, that someone goes through. Um, it may not be representative of every person that struggles with uh, addiction, but pretty accurate for the people that i've seen go through it yes so um he the the part about pushing away the people that are closest to him using others to get what they need uh just the self-destructiveness of it feel like he really captured it so i mean the story story's good no complaints how about you i have to agree with you a hundred percent because for me i mean when you if you watch this film at face value right all you're going to see is the silliness and the the odd choices that were made and the odd <laughs> odd performances throughout but when you go deeper into it and kind of look at it through a more I, I'm not I'm not trying to be a snob I'm really not but this is just how I watch films in particular if you look at it through an intellectual level and as someone who has had people very close to them struggle with addiction um, still struggling with addiction you can see all of those things happening just as Travis described you know how when you first start it's all fun and games and I feel powerful I feel invincible and you know I've never felt like this before and you you go you cannot wait for that second or third or fourth rush so and so I mean just the next one after the next one after the next one it's just you know waiting to get to that next hit and all the meanwhile this it's the i feel like elmer is he represents the addiction itself because he's sitting there on his shoulder for most of the movie and i feel like your addiction lies to you it will tell you what you want to hear all the time when you say i don't you know i don't it doesn't control me i'm in control of myself then you have that constant like iago figure sitting on your shoulders saying Yes, you need me. Yes, I'm going to make you feel great. Yes, I'm going to fix all your problems and take all the pain away until you go into the next hit. And then ultimately, with Morris and Martha, it turns you into a fucking zombie after the fact. Yeah, I, I don't know. I I agree that Elmer is, is representative of the drug. But to me, it seems like some of the dialogue between uh, Brian and Elmer, you could almost look at as an as an inner monologue of Brian justifying his drug use to himself. That's a very interesting point. I never thought of um, it that way. Because the people that I have known that have been through this, it's exactly what they do. Mm-hmm. They justify what they're doing somehow, some way. Uh-huh. And I feel um, like... And it becomes, I've earned it. I need it. I can't live without it. And that's how they get to the place where they can feel okay about using. And I feel like the murders are representing the uh, the ones around you that you hurt while you're going through this addiction. That and most of the time people don't act normal. <laughs> you know what I mean? They do they engage in a lot of self-destructive behavior and yes. they and they oh, always I think in every case hurt the people that are closest to them first. Right. Um and to to get the fix. 
Mm-hmm. And those personality changes that happen. Um, you know what? I'm am just going to go ahead and say it. I don't I don't think he would care. My my brother is is a is an addict, and right now he is sober, thank God. But he is like when he's around and he's sober, he is one of the funnest, smartest funniest people that I know like he's always wanting to make people laugh and all that but I would notice that when he was using how his personality would shift from one thing to the other like how he'd be like super hyper for a minute and then the next minute he's just you know practically dead just sleeping the day away and then you know if he did wasn't able to get the next fix then he was just super angry and taking it out on everyone and he would go into those personality shifts so fluidly that it was scary and you know because of that Travis and I would not allow our kids to be around him and now he's getting his life together like I said thank god but this was something that hit me really close watching it and it was just like, God, it this just feels really, really close to home. Yeah. And I think that's why really close to the beginning of the film, we both kind of identified this is about drug use. Yes. It it took literally five, Seconds. five <laughs> ten minutes into the movie and we're like, yeah, we know what this is about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because I've been I've been in <laughs> in your family for a long time. Yes. Um, so having known having known him before. He he had that struggle. Well, he was still a kid. Yeah, literally. Like, yeah, he was still a teenager like, when you and I got together. No, he was like Isabel's age. Was he? Yeah. I don't think so. He was pretty young. We're only four years apart. That would have put him at like twelve or thirteen when uh, you and maybe. I got together. Yeah. Maybe. Anyway, very young, very young. But knowing him before, and that, and that's another thing about the film is that you kind of get to see a little bit of what he's like briefly, very very briefly, mm-hmm. of what he's like before. He and seems then, like he's a good kid. He's got a nice girlfriend. He lives with his brother. Seems like, you know, he probably lives quietly and, you know, not in a Dahmer kept himself kind of a way, but it just seems like he's a good kid. He's possibly. just a guy. Yeah. He's probably just a guy. Yeah. That goes to school or goes to work or does both. And, you know, he's just a normal person. But yeah, people that have to go through that, that's how they start. Yeah. But after Morris and Martha discover that Elmer is gone, then he quickly makes his way to, I was going to say Rick, his real name, he makes his way to Brian. And something I heard on an interview was that they felt like they wrote him to go after Brian because Brian was innocent and felt like he would be more easily manipulated. And I I can see that because Brian is easily manipulated from start to finish. Well, he's he's easily manipulated after he gets the his, his first experience. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of has to talk him into it at first, but I mean, he yeah. Once he hits him with the juice, it gets real easy. Right. And the longer it goes on, of course, then he becomes more and more dependent on it, and so it takes less convincing. Even when he tries to quit, yeah, it doesn't take a lot of convincing for Brian to go back. And uh, even the scenes where, as funny as they are, even the scenes of Brian high, you know, it. I feel like it tells that very well, too. That when you're high, you feel like, oh my god, this is amazing, and everything around me is so vivid and bright and fun, and, you know, I can hear colors and all that stuff. You know, kind of like after having four shots of espresso, like I do. But, it, you know, I felt like they portrayed that very well. And it, you know, like I said, as funny as it is, there's, there's just something that's very sad about that too. And then, you know, if 
bypassing, you know, the meat of the entire film was, which is just basically watching uh, Brian's descent into addiction and, and madness. Also, um, at the end, you know, it's it's kind of that worst case scenario that eventually his addiction overtakes him. And it, I did find it interesting on rewatch this time that he did have a brief moment where he cleaned up. Like, he, you know, he went through all the withdrawal and got himself cleaned up because um, Aiden actually watched this with us today. And he was like, man, he looks like shit. And I was like, yeah, like that's <laughs> that's that's fairly accurate the way he looks. Yeah, I think it's interesting the, the makeup <clears throat> that they did. It looks like he has track marks all over his body mm-hmm. in one scene where he's... Well, it's in the shower scene when he's in there and he's got his shirt off. Mm-hmm. Um, you can tell he's having some skin problems. Yeah. Um, like if he was using methamphetamines or something. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. But you're right. I mean, he does kind of start to get it together, but then he relapses. Yes. Um, and in the end, at the end, he self-destructs. He overdoses, ultimately. So... it's And it's unintentional. Yeah. It's an unintentional overdose. Yes. It actually, was. it's forced on him by someone else. Yes. Um, but still, it's an accidental overdose that finally gets him. Yeah, and it's... Well, it's not really the overdose, because um, he takes his own life. Well, I yeah, Te- and I know. I'm just saying in terms of... It's not an overdose, per se, that kills him, but it's that his addiction kills him right. in the end. Right, it's, it's, Yeah, that's what I was trying to get at. Right. But. We're making this sound like a really dark movie, and the <laughs> subject matter is... It is. But I feel like the rest of the story... If you're not if you're not thinking about it too deep, it's pretty light. It is. It is light, and it is, it is fucking hilarious. Despite what we're sitting here telling you now, I'm just saying that what this is what I like about the story is that yes, I get all the silliness in there, but we were having this conversation last week about comedy horror and stuff, and for me, I felt like it was such a perfect blend where yes, there was all this funny and silly stuff happening, but at the same time, once. And, and I would say it's the final frame sticks with you, or at least it did me. Um, it was something that once I turned off the movie, it stuck with me for a little bit. Yeah. Well, unlike some films where it's, we're make, we made it sound like the, the subject matter, like they're really heavy handed with it. And again, someone who doesn't, hasn't had that experience and hasn't seen someone go through it, they might not pick it up like we did. Um, but you can almost choose how you want to watch it. Like, if you want to watch it and see the serious side of it, you can. But if you just want to watch it and have a good time, you can do that, too. Right. So let's let's talk about some of the funny stuff for a minute so that we're not yeah. completely on one end of the right, story. Right. Uh, the sequences to me when Brian is high, that was the first thing that made me laugh immediately is this the junkyard scene. His acting <laughs> in those scenes is Silent Night, Deadly Night level. <laughs> Come on, that it's not shit. that bad. He's he's so excited. <laughs> he's so excited. He goes into a junkyard and it looks like a giant yeah. game of Simon in there. It for, does. For those as old as us. <laughs> but he goes in there and it's like, it's like this huge like mixing board of colors everywhere. It looks like he's at a rave. <laughs> yeah. And he's just jumping up and down. Wow, this is great. This is fucking fantastic. And you're laughing because then there's a security guard sitting in his booth looking at him like, this fucking guy. <laughs> yeah, because you could see you could see the junkyard from both perspectives. You could see it from Brian's side. Yes. Where it's all these lights and it's awesome, right? It's, it's like Disneyland. he's watching he's watching uh was that one with Mickey Mouse? Fantasia in real life. Yeah. And then you see it from the security guard's point of view where it's just this busted ass junkyard. He's like, What the fuck is wrong with this he guy? Jumping up and down at nothing. <laughs> I don't get paid enough for this. <laughs> that would have been my thought. I don't get paid enough to deal with this. And the next one is is his taking a bath. 
And it's the same thing. And I told Aiden, I was like, I remember you have some baths like this when you were a little guy. Yeah, but he was like two. <laughs> yes. This is a grown man. <laughs> yes. He's sitting in this big bubble bath, just hooting and hollering. And, and Elmer comes up from between his legs, which Travis was like, um, where was he? <laughs> it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of, it was almost like, um. Like the Freddy Krueger claw in whatever Nightmare on Elm Street that was. He just kind of popped up between what's-her-name's legs. Yeah, there's a lot of shots like and, that throughout this movie. Yeah. Like, like the very first one I can think of uh, when Elmer first shows up is he's crawling underneath Brian's shirt. And, okay, let's just... Blue elephant in the room here. He looks like a dick. He looks like a dick. He, he looks like a big and we watched, black dildo. And we watched the documentary, and there are actually penises sculpted into the model. Yes. On purpose. Yes. The, the guy's like, I'm going to put a dick on it. The head of him, <laughs> no pun intended, um, that's all brainy looking. Again, no pun intended. Yeah, there's like little dicks sculpted yes. up there, and that was purposely done. Yes. I would buy that guy a drink. He'd be like, well done, sir. <laughs> Well done. <laughs> but when he's first crawling through Brian's shirt, he looks extremely phallic. Like, not in the way he looks phallic normally, but he looks realistic there. Looks or... like he's not able to control himself. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was fucking hilarious. And there's an, another scene where he's laying in bed while his sister, his sister, his brother and his girlfriend, you know, she's cheating on him with his brother. And... Elmer rises up under his sheet. Oh, he rises <laughs> up already. Pitches a tent. Yes. So, and some of the line, the lines in the script were so fucking unintentionally funny that after one line in particular, and I believe he was like, oh, you're going to crawl on the floor and beg me for my juice. And Aiden started mock crying and he goes, I need an adult. Yeah. Yeah. There was there was so much innuendo in there without even trying for there to be. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but the script is the whole dialogue over the top funny and I I was totally there for it. <laughs> yeah, and again with the dialogue, there are instances where you you can kind of take it how you want to take it. Um, and it got, goes hand in hand with watching this movie for whatever mood you're in to watch it. Mm -hmm. If you want it to be serious, it can be serious. And if you want to just laugh and have a good time, you can laugh and have a good time. Yeah. And the dialogue goes right along with that because there's dialogue where you could hear it and be like, that's just weird and kind of sad. And then, you know, you're going to beg me for my juice. And, <laughs> you know, when you're when you're a giant sixth grade boy, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and talking about the man or penis or turd of the hour, as it were, Elmer, let's talk about him for a minute because I don't know that this movie would be what it is without him. No, no, definitely not. The The very first moment that you're, hi, Brian, you know, it, that voice, which, by the way, was done by Zachary, the famous classic horror host that I, that I know has influenced so many other horror hosts. Just brilliant to have his voice coming out of this little creature. I just thought it was fantastic. And his performance, he's very, if you're a fan of the old Looney Tunes, he's that frog that when no when someone's looking at him, he's normal. But the second you turn your back, he's going into, hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. That is what 
So that's Elmer not that's is. not the one that I that I thought when I heard him. Okay. It was the one with the magpies. Oh. Do you have a magpie in your yeah, home? Yeah, I could I could see that. That was too. the voice I was like <laughs> sounds like that guy from the cartoon. <laughs> yeah. But it's just this very unexpected voice. You ex- you expect to hear you know, it's very Brian Griffin coming out of it this really little is. thing. It's, it's so a very, weird. It's a very refined sounding voice, but yes. when you're looking at it, you expect it to be like squeaky or growly or something wet. I mean, you know, like just yeah. kind of growl and make weird noises. Yeah. You, you don't? Something more yeah. alien-esque You sounding. don't expect him to sound like an English professor. Yeah, he, he sounds worldly and educated for some reason. Well, apparently he's been around since the dawn of time. Yes. And yeah, I've, I've, I've got problems with the way this movie ends, <laughs> honestly. And I, we can get to that when we talk about the end of the movie, unless you want to do that now. We, yeah, let, I mean, we're talking about the story, so we yeah. may as well. So that's some, that was one of the few things that I had an issue with here. So at the end of the film, did I say spoilers already? We did not cover spoilers. I'm pretty sure I said spoilers at the very beginning. Okay. Oh, well. Well. You're here. <laughs> it's too late, so <laughs> we're just going to soldier on. Um, so at the end, you know, the old man and the old woman show up and they want Elmer back and they hold him at gunpoint and whatever. Um, and Elmer crawls up. He thinks he's finished off the two, the couple that, uh, 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 I can't word, fuck, that originally had him right mm-hmm. he thinks he's finished him off and he crawls up brian's back and gets on his neck and to give him the drugs mm-hmm. to give him the juice but the old man's not dead and he squeezes elmer like he's milking a cow and overdoses brian basically mm-hmm. but squeezing him real hard apparently killed him but 30 seconds before that happens the old man's given a monologue talking about how like fucking caesar augustus was the first person to find elmer and El- so elmer's like thousands and thousands of year old but some old man can just squeeze him yeah till he dies yeah so how how did he survive pirate ships and all this other shit and is some old man can just dynasties be like, yeah and squeeze him to death see i kept waiting i didn't think that was going to be the finishing move when he squeezed him i really thought you know when he was on the ground that somebody was going to stomp him and squish right. him or something you right. know so when he just squeezed him i was like that that's, that's it? it mr hanky's gone yeah, yeah <laughs> you know squeeze the life right out of the turd <laughs> but it was it felt anticlimactic a little bit like i really thought it was going to take more than that especially since they just gave the story of how elmer's been around for thousands of years and he's been through all these difficult periods in history and finally they caught him or whatever mm-hmm. but well i think this is more brian's story and maybe the, brian's song in that in that movie <laughs> brian griffin yes um I think uh, ultimately that's maybe why his death was anticlimactic because I would say that Brian has the more intense and more cinematic, more... He, he definitely does. I just feel like they could have made Elmer's demise a little bit more dramatic and it wouldn't have taken away from Brian's. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It could have made it a little bit more difficult for him to die. Yeah. I mean, it would be like watching Friday the 13th and the cop shows up and just shoots Jason and Jason falls down dead. You'd be like, well, okay, I guess that's... I guess that's how you could do that. Yeah, but uh, no, this this uh, overdose, overjuice, whatever you call it, um, it's not juice, it's a protein shake. It causes... It causes an erection out of his forehead. Yeah. Um, they, they went hard, and we'll go into this in a minute. They went really hard on the bladder effects in this film. Um, so he's got like this protrusion coming out of his forehead. He's got a penis. Excuse shaped. me. I will use the big words. Use the big words. From... Thy word of the day calendar. <laughs> I'm going to take that away from you. <laughs> anyway, and he goes back to his and his brother's apartment, and he has the gun that he uh, took from uh, Morris. And 
I think he thinks that the solution is that he's going to shoot this bulb coming out of his head and that's going to fix it. But instead, and it's it's so fucking bizarre. And um, I did have a moment, admittedly, where I was sitting here and I thought, oh, shit, I'm not sure how I'm going to react to the end of this film this yeah. time. Yeah, when he hauled out the gun, I wasn't sure if I was going to stay in the room for it or not. Yeah, same. Um, but when he holds it up to the protrusion, then I took it. I took it a different he's, way. Yeah, he's trying to... He's not trying to kill himself. He's trying to rid himself of Right, because if thing. an erection lasts more than eight hours... <laughs> Call more ladies. Should, that's right. <laughs> he took too many blue pills. Uh, but no, so I didn't, I didn't take it as he was trying to kill himself, and therefore I could watch the movie without having to get right. up and leave the room. Um, so when his brother and the authorities show up, then his head's kind of like... Isn't there that guy who does the puppet stuff where his head's all cracked open and the puppets are coming out of it? I, Jeff Dunham or whatever. Don't know what you're talking about. It made me about. think of that. Uh, Spark of Insanity where his head's cracked open on the box and all these puppets are coming out. Anyway, I digress. You do. When they when they come in, his head is cracked open and there's just like this fucking light. It's like so, it's like Pennywise whenever they shot him in the head with the, with the rock and there was all that light that just came spilling out. You know out. what my first thought was when I saw that? What? Color out of space. Okay. How so? I don't know why. That's just, that was the first thing that popped into my head when I saw that was color out of space. Interesting. Something sort of Lovecraftian about that imagery. Hmm. Interesting. Well, you know, the top of his head's gone and there's just otherworldly light coming out of it. Eldritch yeah. light, even. Oh. As he would say. Somebody else got a word of the day calendar. Yeah, Lovecraft did. And the only word <laughs> in it was Eldritch because he used it all the time. <laughs> Oh, I feel like Aiden uses that word all the time. He does, because that's the only word in his word of the day calendar. <laughs> so, okay, moving on. I, I, I feel like we both enjoyed the story. That yeah. That's a fair assessment. That's fair. Um, moving on to special effects. So, if you're a giant movie snob like me... This I'm glad is, you finally admit this that. This is kind of a proceed with caution film. Because while some of the effects are brilliant and fantastic, there are others that are kind of hokey. But I would say those are more visual effects than the actual special effects. I'm not going to hate on the visual effects too much. Because one of the guys that did the visual effects for this film went on to do RoboCop. and Which we have also said some of those effects were kind of hokey. They were. They were also <laughs> done in the 80s. Yes. So, I mean... I think computers in the 80s still took up entire rooms. So it wasn't like they had a <laughs> right. shitload of stuff to work with. They were using floppy disks, goddammit. Um, no, I, I felt pretty good about it. But yeah, this uh, Gabriel Bar Bartalos, mm -hmm. right? Gabe Bartalos, yeah. Yeah, well, his name's and Gabriel. He is making his second second appearance on this show because we have talked about his work before on Leprechaun. Yes, yeah, and he's done quite a bit. And you know what? I looked through the rest of the, the effects people. Mm -hmm. They all have done some pretty impressive stuff. Oh, like, yeah. One of them worked on Captain America. Um, they did, some of them did like Jurassic Park. Beetlejuice. And Beetlejuice. I mean, there were some people in here that I didn't know their names, but I'm looking at the shit that they worked on. I'm like, damn. Yeah, some of them went on to be some all pretty right. heavy hitters. These guys got some skills. So, but uh, They hadn't developed them when they made this film, <laughs> but clearly they got they good had, eventually. It, it should also go without saying that this film had no money. It had no budget whatsoever. These guys were working with a matchstick and a tube of toothpaste. Yes, yes, they were going to MacGyver that shit. Yes. Now, the one that I will tell you that I disagree with that on is, is the lighting. Yeah, we will, we will, we will come to it. But 
practical effects, I really think that they were really, really great. For for the budget that they had, some of them were really fantastic. Like, for starters, Elmer, he's, I mean, he's a big dick, okay? But he's adorable, and he's very well made. I would like to have him sitting up on my mantle, Mr. Hanky style, every Christmas with a little Santa hat on. We could do him like saying, Elf on a shelf. Yes. And make the kids find him. Yeah, except nothing rhymes with Elmer. Yeah. So you were talking about how he looks like a dick. A horribly mutilated <laughs> penis. So two things occurred to me when I first saw him. Like his full body, like not sticking out of the collar with his little tail and all that. Uh-huh. First one was he looks like a dream demon from whatever Nightmare on Elm Street that was. Freddy's dead. With the, the nightmare demon slug things, uh-huh. right? And my next one was Jason Lives. Uh-huh. He looks an awful lot like... Jason Lives, or you mean Jason Goes to Hell? Yeah, that one too. Oh my God. <laughs> Stop talking about things you don't understand. That's what I have you for. <laughs> but one of the guys that did the effects for this film went on to do Jason Lives. So I wonder, wonder if that may be not part of the reason why they look so similar. Just saying. Those are two different movies, though. It doesn't matter. Yes, it, in my it, mind, it does matter. In my mind, they're the same thing. <laughs> anyway, um, like I, we were just saying, there were bladder effects throughout this movie. And I know that there was a big boom of those in the 80s. Once people figured out how to use them, everybody was fucking using them. But... They didn't always do it well. In this one, I felt but like in this one, they, they did. did. Yeah. Um, there's the scene where Brian and uh, his girlfriend are having dinner uh, at a restaurant, spaghetti and meatballs. And Brian is already kind of hallucinating different stuff. And he sees these throbbing, pulsating brains in his spaghetti. If you'd have just said dicks at the end of that. <laughs> and it looked amazing. I mean, it's, it's one of those where if you weren't strong-stomached like I am, you'd sit there and go, bleh, bleh. but I thought it was it was so cool. I mean, to me, those are things that are beautiful because I f- I'm fucked up. I feel like the first meatball <laughs> that turned into a brain and started kind of pulsating a little bit mm-hmm. looked really good. The second one looked really good. At the part where the whole plate was full of brain meatballs, I was like, eh, okay. I thought it was great. You're, you're overdoing it a little bit. I don't care what you say. But yeah, that first <laughs> one was creepy because when it came on screen, I was like, is that a brain? <laughs> is, that, is that what that is? Is that a brain? There's so much brain in yeah, this movie. <laughs> it was a brain. <laughs> so much penis and brain. Yeah. Anyway, um, and then the ear gag where Brian is having, you find out it's a nightmare, but he starts to pull brain matter out of his ear and he tugs on it and it's just like it's almost like his brain is spooling out of his ear because he's just pulling it like the way a clown pulls the yeah, it's a clown handkerchief yeah exactly um and then once he kind of pulls off his ear then it just falls a fucking flood the shining style out and i thought that was extremely well done too and the way that they did it was not the way that i thought that they did it i really thought it would just been a hose like running up his back or something yeah i really thought so too but it ended up being composite shots filming both things separately and then putting them together i thought that was really interesting yeah, and they just dumped a bucket of guts down a dryer vent yeah like, and nice. they tilted the room sideways or had him sitting at an angle so it would have that so effect. So they could get some yonder on it. Yeah, I thought that was, that was really cool. And then um, the big threesome dream scene where it it was so Cronenberg-esque to me. The way he comes, you see his stomach and he's got all these suction cups all over it. Like the like a 
octopus what arm. kills me is that you didn't initially notice that elmer had those i didn't i didn't notice yeah. that until so he had elmer yeah. suction cups on his stomach yeah i didn't notice that until this time and that i thought that was really cool nice nice attention to detail um feel like that's one of those things you you would have to be paying attention to so um and then like travis was just bringing up the cinematography is just, in my opinion, is just fucking outstanding on this. I have favorite, I have multiple favorite shots in this film that I think are unbelievable. I would argue that the cinematography is good, but the lighting is what makes it for me. Possibly. Any, because I think initially it's kind of warm, you know, the lighting is warm to begin with. And typically in shots where the girlfriend is there. It's, it's a warmer light, but anytime it's Elmer and Brian together, it's always cold. They use a lot of blue in this film. Um, mm. And it kind of reflects the mood that's happening at the time, right? Um, you get a lot of rainbow colors and stuff like that when he's high. But if he's not high and it's just him on screen, it's blue. Yeah. Uh, I think symbolizing like the, the down phase, you know, the valley in between the highs. Um, but I feel like they use the lighting to great effect. The cinematography is good, but I feel like the lighting in this film really is what helps the cinematography work possibly but i don't know that it's so much lighting in a couple of the scenes that i really love or a couple of the shots that i love so much as that use of color like my favorite shot of this entire thing and i used it in the trailer that we made for this on our social media is the scene where he's hallucinating he's looking up at the the dome light on his ceiling and he's and he's envisioning it as an eyeball and then slowly around him it starts to fill up with the blue li liquid that you find out later is what's getting injected into his brain and it's filling up around him and i love the scene where he's just looking and his face is super pale and it's just encompassing his head i just i love that shot the way it just seems very drowned out except for that blue it's yeah. it's oh oh chef's kiss i yeah. i love it so yeah, much it shows him getting overcome with addiction like right there yeah like he's he is fully immersed in it and travis talking about a lot of the scenes are blue so i feel like when they do stick color in there it makes it pop that much more so when you go to the club and it's got that blue hue but then you just have the sign hell in red it pops out so much more so that's another one of my favorite shots and then of course his head at the end of the at the end of the movie and there's another where he's having another hallucination and he looks up his ceiling again and this time it's just like a blanket of stars it's just yeah. It's, it's phenomenal. Some I, of the shots are brilliant. But I think they use color in this film to show that he was not he was not observing the same reality that everyone else was. Right. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, when you've got normal people on screen, like the brother, the girlfriend, everything looks normal. I Everything's still feel like fine. their apartment is pretty cold it, it, and washed a little, out. It's a little dark, but he's there. Yeah. Right? And, and that's why I think the color represents his skewed view of the world around him because of his addiction. That's too much. All right, fart jokes. Fart <laughs> jokes. Where are those at? I almost sounded smart. You got to unfuck this train right now. <laughs> and before we move on to acting, I just wanted to point out to you, in case you missed it, there was a the scene where they're in the nightclub and there's a big mohawk guy dancing around. That is actually the special effects artist Gabe Bertalos, and I think he credited himself in the in the. Uh, I can't talk. <laughs> he, he credited himself as Slam Wedge House. Yes. 
Interesting choice. I don't... Slam Wedge House. This sounds like How do you come up with something that? from Denny's. <laughs> Grand Slam Wedge House. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'll have the Grand Slam Wedge I think we need to go house. to Carrie's for breakfast in the morning. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. So moving on to acting. Um, Travis was saying that there is a lot of scenery chewing. And there is, to be fair. However, I will still say that I think Rick Hurst's performance as balls out as it is at times, is still also a moving performance in places where it's hard to describe, but I feel like to do what he did, you have to be really committed to a role like that. Yeah, his... I agree. His The ones where he's high, mm-hmm. they're way out there. But, I don't know, how do you, how do you act that? I right. I don't know. Um... But his serious scenes were really good. You know, when it was a more subdued, like when he's going through withdrawal and stuff like that. Those scenes were really good. He and he did do a great job. They said he's a method actor, though. And that when they were filming this, he slept in Brian's bed on set. Yeah. Through filming. Yeah, and they thought he was crazy, but he was like, no, I, I need to feel like I have a piece of this guy right. with me that it will help my performance. Right. And I, I really thought that was great. Um, Aside from him, though... I will say Morris was probably the other one that was just really over the top and out there performance-wise. His and Martha, he and Martha were the one, other ones I would say that would really stick out in terms of... Fortunately, they're not in the movie a lot. <laughs> but I think they're fun. I think they're fun performances. It's, it's funny, yeah. You, you just have to, you have to take it as funny up front. Yes, because again, like I said, Aiden had been watching this with us. And I, I won't, I'll never forget it at the very beginning because he's just, he's laying on the couch playing on his phone. He, he couldn't give a shit. And then when she discovers that Elmer's not in the bathtub anymore, she lets out this blood curdling scream. And Aiden was like, what the hell? And she, so the way the actress played that, she did it at the beginning during the scene you're talking about. And at the end, when he's, when Elmer's ch- trying to chew on her brain, uh-huh. where she'd like scream. And then just like stop, and you wait a couple beats, and then just ah again, mm-hmm. and then quiet, and then ah. Like, it wasn't a continuous performance; it was just in bursts, and it made it really comedic. Yes. So I and then and then Elmer, of course, that voice performance was was just great. We've already talked about that already. His voice acting might be the best acting in the film. But it was it was terrific. Now. In terms of our other central characters, like uh, Barbara and Mike, his his uh, brother and girlfriend, respectively, I didn't get much out of their performances. And for for two people that are supposed to be central characters, I really they felt secondary. Didn't feel like they were really in the movie that much. It I mean, really they were didn't. there. They introduced them, and this is who they are and what they do. And then they just kind of went away. Right. Because they're setting, I mean, don't get me wrong, Barbara and Mike are in there for a fair majority of the movie, but it just feels incidental to a point. It's just kind of like this B storyline of Mike wanting Barbara, and he's so skeevy about it from the beginning. He's trying to do that whole, I'm a nice guy, you can trust me, and all this stuff. And really, he's just wanting to get in her pants the whole time. Yeah, I mean, it's like this big unrequited love thing is what they played off at. Like, I knew it from from jump that he was just lingering on her for a beat too long. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I but, see. So in the very beginning of the film, though, she's going to go to a concert and Brian doesn't feel well. 
And he says, go with Mike. Mike. Right. And He'd love to go with you. Yeah. yeah and he of course would. he did. He did go with her. <laughs> um, but yeah, I agree that they just seem incidental. It's it's like you've got your, your main storyline going with Brian, and then every now and then they those two show up, and it's like, oh, and by the way, there's other people that are looking for Brian. Right. You oh, know, by the, the way, there's other people that are wondering what's going on with Brian. Yeah, they'll have a scene where it's like, oh, he's got all these buckets in his room. Oh, he's in the bathtub all the time. And she's kind of doing the girlfriend thing of, oh, he's blowing me off and I don't understand what's going on with him. But then without even having a real conversation with Brian, she just assumes that they're broken up and then proceeds to sleep with his brother. Yeah. Which... Because Travis and Aiden and I, we all had, we, we took a beat to talk about how we felt about this. And because, and, and we've talked about it on the show before, that Travis's views on cheating are very black and white, whereas I tend to be more forgiving on the subject. So I told him, I was like, I can understand kind of where she's coming from a little bit in that it does seem like he just blows her off and he doesn't care. But she owed it to them to at least have a real conversation about, I know something's wrong with you, what's going on, that kind of thing. But she just tries to talk to him once in the restaurant, and he leaves abruptly, and then she never tries again. Right. And I didn't feel like that was really realistic. No. I feel like if she was done at that point, or if she thought they were done, if nothing else, she should have had a closure conversation. Yes. Where she just goes up and tells him, I'm not dealing with your shit anymore, we're done. Right. And then don't sleep with his brother. Yeah. Like, sleep with anybody else, but don't sleep with the brother that he lives with. Right. Jesus Christ. Like, I can understand needing solace and comfort, but at the same time, that's just too close to home. Yeah. You know, go sleep with anybody else, but that's his brother. That's just, that's beyond fucked up. Yeah. And... That's almost like a revenge thing. His brother's a piece of shit. Absolutely. To me, he's the worst fucking character in this whole thing, even over Elmer. Well, because worse than her, the brother should have been the one that's like, no, we're not doing this. Yeah. You, it you, felt, were, you were dating my brother. We're not doing this. It felt very opportunistic and sleazy. Absolutely. I guess. He, he had a creeper vibe about him. Kind of did. So, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. Um, but they really didn't get a lot at... I didn't get a lot out of their characters. We, we basically just talked about everything they did in this movie. Yeah, pretty just much. Now. We covered it in about three minutes. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, and then his brother ends up getting away with it. There's really no consequence to this B storyline. Well, there's no consequences for either of them. It, no, well, there is for her. There is for there Barbara. Is for her. I forgot about that. Um, there's a scene on the train, uh, which going back to kind of the visual effects thing, some of the composite shots in this film are a little wonky. There's a scene where when the room first starts to fill up with the blue stuff, where it definitely looks out of place. But the scene with the last scene with Barbara is that he and or she and Brian are sitting in the subway. And every time she looks away from him, he has this red and black Elmer pop out of his mouth. And that's obviously a composite shot, too. Doesn't look terrific. And my and actually, this is one of my favorite scenes. And I know we're going to come up to favorite quote killing scene here in a minute. But uh, not talking about what makes that scene my favorite is the lady <laughs> sitting on the subway with them. Like, because she thinks that they're just making out. She doesn't know that Elmer's in her mouth killing her. But she's sitting there just looking at him, rolling her eyes and silent, like, fucking New York. Can't even sit on a fucking subway. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it just a, it cracked me up. Get a room. <laughs> yeah. So the funny thing about the subway scene, it's not funny. But And I know we were just talking about the relationship thing and we kind of moved on. But 
the reason she's there is he hears them getting it on in the next room. Like, they're playing the funky town music and all that. And Once you take me to funky town? Yeah, once it's done, not really. <laughs> but he goes in there and catches them in bed naked together. And the first words out of her mouth are, it's not what it looks like. It was very much what, what it looked like. What, what do you think it looks like? <laughs> looks to me like you're naked in bed with my brother. But he doesn't get mad. No. Like, he's so far gone. And he tells her, like, I've I'm, I'm got to get away because I'm going to kill again, and I don't want it to be either of you. Well, he has enough of his bearings to know yeah. that he cares about them enough that he doesn't want to see yeah. them get hurt, despite but, what they just did. But that's what makes the subway scene sad, yeah. is that he was trying to leave to save them both, even though I really feel like neither of them deserve it. And she follows him anyway. Mm-hmm. And gets it, she gets got yeah. on the subway, uh, which I didn't feel bad about. I felt more bad for him that like he's willing to accept what they're doing and be okay with it and still try to save them. Yeah. Like, I'm like, dude. Like, which, he, again, harkens back to he's a good kid. He deserves to make it. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> it's like every time we keep talking about the things that are good or funny, then we just go back to it's dark, it's dark, it's dark. <laughs> It's yeah. bleak, it's bleak, it's bleak. <laughs> yeah. But, I, you know, the visual effect of the black and red Elmer jumping out of his mouth, I I didn't mind it. It did look a little cheesy. It took me out of it a little bit. But I feel like it sort of illustrates the inner battle that he was going through in that moment. Mm-hmm. Or the fight that he was having with, with Elmer to, to eat or not to eat. That mm-hmm. is the question. Yeah. So, I, you know, it eh, wasn't a great visual, but I feel like it illustrated the sort of the emotion of the moment. Yeah. So. so. Okay. Talk about score. Travis didn't pay attention. Let's just go ahead and get that out of the way. There was just that music in it. <laughs> I think the score is terrific. To me, it's very, it's got that, that obvious 80 cent thing going on, but it, it's also very sad in places and haunting and creepy, but it also can go into like this kind of sci-fi thing and, uh, and funny in places it's it's terrific. I really enjoyed the score so much. I wish you had paid attention to it. <laughs> I just don't. So the scores that jump out at me are the ones that are way over the top. Um, and they kind of dominate it. And those do not draw my attention necessarily in a positive way. Because music can be way overpowering. Uh, especially if it's inappropriate for the scene. Um, and then soundtracks or scores where it really adds to the emotion of the moment. And so it stands out like Candyman. I feel like the score in that is just absolutely fantastic. It might be one of the best scored movies that I can think of off the top of my head. Agree. But it's because the music goes hand in hand with what you see on screen and it adds to the feeling that you get uh, when you're watching it. And I didn't get any of those from this. See, I did. And particularly when the end credits start to roll, it's a very sad theme that's playing. I didn't watch the end credits. And like I said, with the the final shot that we get and then it goes into that music... I was just sitting there gobsmacked, like, literally. Um, but if Travis can't remember it, he can't elaborate, so only, moving on. The only music <laughs> that I remember from it is the swimming pool cues in the club. <laughs> so it's Singing whatever that song was, and I'm like, I, that... They sound familiar, but I don't know who yeah, that is. Yeah, it was a it was kind of a cool song. It was a yeah, it was a catchy song. Um, Still don't know who they are. I don't either. I just kept saying that guy's voice sounds familiar. He did. That's what got me is that the guy's voice sounded. He kind of had an Iggy Popness about him a yeah, little bit. Maybe. Okay, now wrapping this up, let's go quote kill and scene. Okay, you're gonna make me start, aren't you? Because no, you have... I'm not. No, I'm okay. Not. Are you gonna you do you want me to start? Sure. Okay. 
So my if you steal my quote, I'm going to get mad. My favorite quote <laughs> is my favorite quote because I had to look it up. So I don't know which one you picked. And if I stole it, too bad. Anyway, it's the, it's the whole scene. And it's actually, it's long. It's a pretty long sort of monologue from Elmer as he's talking to Brian. And he's like, well, well, ready to beg for it, Brian. Ready to crawl across the floor and plead for my juice. <laughs> and he just... He's that like, was when the good. when the pain gets so great, you think you're turning inside out. Just ask for my juice. <laughs> yeah, come to me when you're ready, Brian. Come to me and get my juice. <laughs> like, there's something so wrong. I know that, that that's when Aiden started. That. That's when Aiden started playing, crying. I need an adult. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was. I, I'm watching. I'm like, I, what the hell? <laughs> what is that? Um, as far as the kill, I'm going to go with the old lady at the end. And it's 100% because of her reaction to being killed. It is so insane and over the top. And because I would be a horrible person if I picked the fellatio scene. Yeah, I thought you were going to pick that one, honestly. I'm not, I'm, I'm not an asshole. So, so before, We didn't even talk about that scene. Yeah, I was going to say, before we continue, let's, let's talk about the scene for half a second. We both felt like that would be a controversial pick because it feels very mean-spirited toward women. It feels dirty. In my opinion. That scene feels dirty. In fact, the much like they did on Basket Case, this is the scene where the crew walked out and refused to participate. Right. And so I couldn't in good conscience pick that either because I it just felt wrong. And I listen, listen, before everybody starts clutching their pearls, the actress knew what she signed on for. She hasn't come back and said, oh, I was taken advantage of. Nothing like that. She was down to do it. She had a good time. And they put a real live brain in her mouth. Spray they sprayed her mouth with binaca first so she wouldn't even have to taste it um, much. I would think you still would. So it'd be but, a textural thing as well? <laughs> yeah. But it just still feels mean-spirited. And I I couldn't pick it. So this, yeah. So the scene in question, for anyone who hasn't seen it, she's getting ready to go downtown, and <laughs> I don't want to be too dirty about how I'm describing this. And Aylmer comes out of Brian's zipper uh, at, at the moment of truth and eats her brain from the inside of her mouth. Yes. Uh, but the entire time, Brian's like basically grabbing her pigtails. Um, not really pigtails, but yeah, it's very forceful. Uh, Sort of a, and he's acting like he's getting enjoyment from it too, and I couldn't yeah. understand that. I'm like, how is that still pleasure to I have, you? Well, he was really high. Yeah. But at the same time, he should not have been able to feel that unless yeah. Elmer was pulling double duty. Like maybe he had something <laughs> going on with his tail inside the pants. Um, I don't know. But yeah, yeah, it was. It would have been. So there was some. It was violent. It was a, sort of a violent scene. Okay. Uh, against women, and that's the reason we're not going to pick that scene. Exactly. Um, it was interesting. I don't know that it, I've ever seen anything like that no, before. No, that scene's a lot, a whole damn lot, and it wouldn't be a Hen and Lauder movie without at least one thing like and that. There's got to be one scene where the entire crew walks out on him, and he's like, "Fuck y'all, I'm doing it anyway." <laughs> that seems to be his trademark. Although I got off on Frankenhooker. And apparently that's the only movie he's made where that didn't happen. Yeah. No one, they didn't just all walk off on Frankenhooker. Okay. But I mean, if the movie's called Frankenhooker, they had to know what they were getting themselves into. Right. right? Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, so we didn't pick that. So. Favorite scene? And favorite scene. Favorite scene in the movie? I think it's got to be the junkyard scene. And it's a combination of his just balls out over the top acting and the visuals. 
Because, like, the, the disco lights coming out of the cars is still pretty neat. I mean, it's it's interesting. It's an interesting shot. If it wasn't that one, man, I like the scene where he's laying in bed. And I know it's not the one that you picked where the water covers him, but that first shot where his arm's hanging over the bed and you can see blue water, like, up to the edge of the bed. Mm -hmm. I know it's a visual effect. I know it's not great. But visually, it's it's a striking scene. Kind of like the the... The contrast of his very, very pale face getting swallowed up in that really dark blue water. It's, mm -hmm. it's just the contrast on screen that gets me for that one. How about you? Uh, quote, and I quote. And I quote. If there's blood in my underwear, I want to know where it came from. <laughs> that's fair. I feel like that's fair. <laughs> and it's right after the fellatio scene we just talked about where he's kind of, when the murders occur, he's kind of unaware that he's doing he's killing so he has no recollection that that has happened at all all he knows is he goes to the alley and he he gets nude from the waist down and sees that his the crotch of his underwear are covered in blood and that was just a line that cracked me up so bad because we have the running gag in this house about oh it was the taco bell it was the chipotle you know yeah there's a there's a kill where a guy's sitting on a toilet and then next thing you see is just this blood falling from the toilet in the guy's legs and we said the same thing oh he had the chipotle billy mays here <laughs> yeah. for chipotle way yeah exactly <laughs> it's on south park don't come at me <laughs> but um let's see uh, favorite kill i'm actually gonna go with the subway kill for mine and that's because uh, I think I took a micro nap while that was happening. <laughs> <laughs> no, you were in the kitchen getting something. Probably nachos. Um, no. Uh, because the way Travis talked about it, it, it being kind of sad. But I also felt like even though he is killing her, it's also this kind of weird tender moment between the two of them. I don't know. It, it's, it's hard to describe. But it feels sad. It feels... Uh, scary, but at the same time, it feels sweet and tender and even erotic a little bit. It's like this weird concoction of emotions that you're feeling. And I just, I love the scene of him just kind of deeply kissing her and laying her down on the subway seat. I just, I, I thought that was a great, great kill. Um, let's see, favorite scene. Uh, I think... It is going to be that one. I think it's going to be him laying in bed in the room filling up with, with the blue water. I knew it would be. Love it. Love it. Love it. Cannot say enough good things about that shot. Um, my next my next, uh, my next, next pick would have probably been the bathtub because I the bathtub thing cracks me up every fucking time. The scenes where he's just flipping out. He was just missing a toy boat. They're hilarious. <laughs> yes. Yeah. If he had a rubber duck, he's, he's complete. <laughs> and I do want to give a shout out and bonus points to the fact that they had a basket case cameo on the subway. Like the actor came back, he had his basket. And what I thought was great about that cameo is that he looks over to Brian like, what the fuck? So the freak freaks the freak out. To man have to make him leave because the basket's locked so yes. you know belial's in there yes but apparently this guy had had like he had a crew cut or uh -huh. something he had shaved his head and so they put him in this horrible wig <laughs> and i guess on set the wig was so bad nobody knew who it was and so they just told him it was eddie van halen yeah and everybody was like oh yeah okay <laughs> they just went with it yeah so i don't know why they'd insult eddie van halen's hair like that though <laughs> so travis marry fuck or kill uh, brain damage. Brain damage. I feel like marrying it would might give you brain damage. 
I think I'd fuck it. Why not? Okay. This is one I'd watch if if you were ever like, hey, let's do brain damage. I'll I'll watch this film. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna surprise, surprise. I'm gonna go with Marriott. Yeah, I knew you would. Now, this is a marriage in which the beds are separate. We might have to push the beds together. <laughs> push them together once a month. <laughs> yes, because it's not something I'm gonna keep in regular rotation. But I'm going to space the watches out because every time I watch this movie, I find something else that I love more and more on each viewing, and I would like to keep it that way. So Yeah, I agree with you. I feel like this is one that if you watched it too often, too close together, that you could ruin it for yourself. Right. So, yeah, once a month we'll push the beds together and I'll remind myself, like, hey, why don't we do this more often? (laughs) Right. So this is actually one I don't own and I don't know why. Because you're Probably because it's always for free on some streaming service. Um, but it's, I need to rectify that soon. Very, very soon. Yeah. You just made Lala the saddest girl. (laughs) So, uh, final thoughts. I'm going to say you should absolutely give this movie a watch. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not for the weak stomached. It's not for, you know, the, if you have a certain sense or set of sensibilities, it's not for you. But if you just you want to go in and watch something that's demented and hilarious and yet thought provoking, this movie's perfect. I feel like if you have delicate sensibilities, you should watch this film. Delicate sensibilities. That's what I I feel like you should totally watch it. Challenge your worldview (laughs) and maybe get sick at the same time. Um, Honestly, for anybody that might find the fellatio scene really, really offensive in a way that you wouldn't want to, like, I don't want to watch it. I'm pretty sure in the theatrical version, that's the only scene that got cut mm-hmm. was just that scene. So I believe there's a cut out there where if you were just like, that's absolutely offensive and I don't want to watch it. You can still see the film without that. Um, but yeah, I'd actually say watch it. Yeah. Give it a give it a shot. It's an absolute watch. Expand your horizons. 10 out of 10. I love it. So, that's going to do it for us. Next week, we are going to try not to bring the mood down again. Um, We are going to, everybody knows why we took an extended leave of absence. So, Travis and I had a discussion between the two of us about continuing to honor our daughter's legacy. So, we, for the month of September, we want to do a month of hashtag for London. We are going to feature three of London's favorite films and next week starting that month off uh we're gonna start with american psycho one of her most beloved beloved movies yeah and i'm i don't know that i've ever really watched american psycho but from what i understand there's a lot of conspiracy theories surrounding what's actually happening in that film so i'm kind of looking forward to that one the other thing is is that we just watched a movie the other night um where Christian Bale had an unexpected appearance we watched howl's Howl's moving Castle, castle yeah the english dub version and he is Howl. Yeah. He does the voice of Howl in that. Yeah. Because I was listening to it. I was like, that guy sounds familiar. And I was and like, then, why is this guy doing an overly sexy voice? Yeah. Like, this guy sounds really hot. <laughs> that's yeah. why. That's, that's why. I kept waiting. For, <laughs> once I found out it was him, I kept waiting for him to go, I'm Batman. So from from that point on, every time Howl spoke, I heard, Patrick, he? I heard Patrick Bateman. So... <laughs> Yeah. I was waiting for him to go into a skincare routine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we may have to watch American Psycho two or three times because one of the one of the our friends of the show, uh, Bill and Zena, Bill's a huge fan of this yes. of American Psycho. And he's got a whole like He's got theories. He's got a big theory about American Psycho. And we can we can talk about that actually, uh, so 
Yeah, and so I kind of, like I said, I've never really watched it and paid attention. So this will be interesting for me. I'm kind of looking forward to it. So do we want to give up the rest of the month or do that on a week-by-week basis? We're going to do it one week at a time. We're going to make you beg for it. We're going to make you crawl over here and get our juice. (laughs) We're going to beg for our juice. Oh, my God. Now, on that note, I'm Ashley. And I'm Travis. Thanks for listening to Dead and Married. Take care, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Dead and Married. A special thank you to William Rush, Gary Horton, Carissa, Kent Morton, Kate Lamp, Lala Thomas, and Podmortem for being our patrons. If you would like to support our channel, head over to patreon.com slash deadandmarried to find out how. We would also like to thank Alana Miller for composing Dead and Married's theme. You can find Alana's channel, Alana Llama, on YouTube. And last but not least, you can find us on X and Instagram at SpookyMom83 and TravisL80 as well as our official pages. Thank you again, everyone, for your support.